Welcome to the Birth Warrior Podcast. In each episode, we feature the stories of birth warriors, women who have persevered to find their own truth in pregnancy and birth. As you hear these women share their stories of love, autonomy, connection, and power, it is our deepest wish that you will be inspired, empowered, and supported to find your own truth. We are honored these women have stepped forward to share their personal stories and to help us remember that we all have the power to choose what is right for us. The Birth Warrior Podcast is a presentation of the Indie Birth Association and is not intended to be medical advice. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Birth Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Jaden Graham, and on today's episode, we have Brooke. Brooke is a mother and wife originally from Idaho, now living in Wanganui, New Zealand, with her two daughters and husband. She believes some of the most important work you can do in life is to figure out what exactly you truly, deeply want. What would life and birth look like if you dared to make choices out of your wildest dreams instead of your deepest fears? And I hope you all enjoy the show today. Thank you so much for being here. Brooke, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's it's really an honor for me to share my story with you. Oh, well, I, I appreciate that so much. Um, and I am so honored to be here um, and hearing your story and being in your presence. So on that note, wherever you would like to begin your story, please do. Sure. Um, so I guess I want to preface the whole story by saying that my both of my birth experiences happened in New Zealand, and I'm aware that that allows me certain privileges that might not be accessible to everybody who hears this. So in New Zealand, mm-hmm. we have access to a continuous model of care um, via midwives. So basically when you find out you're pregnant, you go onto a handy website (laughs) called find your midwife and you search by your location and you book in, um, depending on what kind of birth you'd like to have. Um, Mm -hmm. if you prefer a Maori or Pacifica midwife, you can search for all of these different things and then hopefully find someone who's available to help you. So, um, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, that's really amazing. That's amazing. And that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it doesn't cost you anything also if you, so when I moved to New Zealand, it was December, 2016, and I wasn't yet a permanent resident, which I am now almost five years on, but my husband is a citizen and the baby would be a citizen. So I was entitled to entirely subsidized um, midwifery care. So it cost me nothing out of pocket. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that's huge especially with the story I'm going to tell. Yeah, huge. So um, Mm -hmm. tiny bit of backstory. I am from Idaho originally, and uh, I was living in Spain teaching English. And I met my husband there, who uh, is from New Zealand. And to make a really long story short, we fell in love and all that good stuff. And um, we decided to spend (laughs) six months in the U.S. because he was able to get a visa. And we talked about getting married, but when I found out he was going to be in the U.S. for six months with me, I was like, listen, I've got a really big family. It'd be really cool if we could get married um, in Idaho when we're in the U.S. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. So we ended up deciding to get married in October of 2016. And it was actually 
about a month before our wedding, um, we were living in California at the time and we were going to spend a weekend in San Francisco. We were going to, you know, have a good time, drink, you know, party, all that stuff. And I was having these really Mm -hmm. weird symptoms and I couldn't remember when I'd last had a period. And I was like, listen, before we go to San Francisco and, you know, act reckless, I should probably take a pregnancy test. (laughs) And we found out exactly a month before we were supposed to be married that we were having a baby. So that was actually really scary at first, but then, yeah, it was really exciting. And we actually (laughs) called my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law is a midwife and so is my sister-in-law. And so is one of my best friends. So I'm kind of surrounded by midwives. Wow. yeah. So we cool. write her when we, yeah, it's, re- it's really, it's really great. And um, in fact, that's, I think, where kind of my inspiration for the kind of births I wanted came from was just these women in my life. And um, yeah, so we rang her and we, we were taking the test and she was on the phone with us as it became positive. And, and I was just like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And crying my husband was crying and my mother-in-law was like this is a good thing (laughs) this is good (laughs) so um so yeah we basically we got married in October and we moved to New Zealand at the end of November 2016 um and then we settled in Auckland which is the a big the biggest city in New Zealand it's in the north uh, Mm -hmm. generally we could say that and we were moving to Wellington. Mm-hmm. So we had quite a lot of transition happening um, in like the first trimester, second trimester of my pregnancy. And um, so we settled in Wellington, which is a capital city. I found a midwife to look after me. She was actually American, which was interesting, but she'd been in New Zealand for like 20 years. Um, and she supported home birth. So I was really clear from the beginning that I wanted to have a home birth. Um, and I think it's important to mention, I hear a lot of stories of women who have the kind of birth outcome I had with my first, um, and they, they, you know, agree to interventions, or they look back and they say, oh, I didn't do this or that, and I should have done it, and I haven't heard a lot of stories mm-hmm. of women who say, I did all the right things, and I ended up with a C-section mm-hmm. anyway, and I think that's the kind of story I'm going to tell <laughs> with my first, is I did all mm-hmm. the right things, like, I refused all interventions. I, yeah, so I'm going to back up again. I'm kind of all over the show. I hope you guys can bear with me, but, um, no, it's, it's great. Me. It's, it's how it's supposed <laughs> to be. <laughs> I hope it makes sense. So you can be the outside ears and clarify if I get all over the place. Um, okay. So anyway, we moved to Wellington. Things were going fine. I had a little job at a cafe and I was walking a lot and um doing a bit of yoga and um we did antenatal classes I had my appointments with my midwife and everything was very normal and I woke up on Sunday April 2nd 2017 and I had this missed phone call from my sister on whatsapp and I thought nothing of it I had to pee as you do in you know later pregnancy and I went back to sleep and then I woke up again and I had a message from my brother on WhatsApp and he was like, Hey Brooke, please call me when you get this. I love you. Which was a bit weird for my brother. Cause he's not the kind of guy who just texts you and says he loves you. And so then I knew something mm-hmm. had happened and, um, I got up and Jake was my, my husband's name is Jacob and he kind of woke up and, um, and 
I called my brother and he was like, is Jacob with you? And I was like, yeah. And he took this deep breath and he, I'll never forget this as long as I live. He takes a deep breath and he goes, dad passed away. <laughs> and I was like, can I swear on this podcast? Oh, absolutely. Before I jump. Yeah. I was like, it's my, a- brother, okay. my brother is Mormon, by the way. He is a member of the Church yeah. of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And to my poor brother, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then I start like saying, oh my God, yeah. you know, just blasphemy. And, and I was like, what are you talking about? You know? Um, so I was supposed to go to my last, my first day of my last week of work at this cafe. My shift was supposed to start at 11 a.m. It was 6 a.m. at that point. I looked at my husband and I was like, well, I have to go to work. He's like, you're not going to work. <laughs> We're going to probably fly to the U.S. now. And, you know, so yeah, my, my father died suddenly of a heart attack on April Fool's Day in the States, because it's a day later in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And that kind of threw a spanner uh, in the works of my whole life, to be honest. But um, the reason I mention it is I, I really believe that birth is this, it's not just a physical event that happens between a baby and a mother. It's also an emotional event, a spiritual event. And you know, I believe that we carry a lot within us. Um, and my midwife said to me that birth, or sorry, that grief is like having a major surgery. So that mm-hmm. happened at 34 weeks. We flew to the U.S. Um, I got a letter from my midwife saying, this is a well woman. She's clear to fly. It's all good. We flew to the U.S. We planned a funeral. We had the funeral. <laughs> I saw my family and it was this really bittersweet time. I was so grateful I was able to go home for that. Um, And it was also kind of amazing to like Mm -hmm. be in the presence of all my family and have them get to touch my belly and, you know, and, and, and see them in person. And I have five aunts. My dad had five sisters and uh, has five sisters, I guess. And uh, yeah, so it was really nice. But then I, I flew back home at 36 weeks back to New Zealand and I was just like, okay (laughs) what the hell now Mm -hmm. um so Mm -hmm. that should have been like a lesson that things don't always go how you think they're going to go in your life but um you know I just kind of got back to New Zealand and wasn't working and was just like all right well now I guess I figure out you know I, I grieve I continue grieving and I get ready to have a baby um and I went to 41 plus four before I went into labor with my daughter. And I was like, my midwife at one point was like, well, um, I, I'm going to come over and do a stretch and sweep, which I don't know if we call it that in the U S but it's basically like a membrane sweep. And she mm-hmm. said it kind of like, yeah, that's a that. stretch and like, sweep. Yeah. I was just going to say stretch and sweep, or you just, or it's called sweeping the membranes. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. she said to me at one point later, late in the pregnancy, like, in that, that last week she was like I'm gonna come do that and I was like well I'm gonna I'm gonna find out what that is first and then maybe we're not doing that and I found out what it was and I was like nah <laughs> so I literally didn't like I was like no no interventions whatsoever so I went into labor with her and I'm not gonna get into too much detail but I was in labor I don't know if I was even really ever in like even early active labor but I was in labor with her for about 26 hours and then it turned out that I did do some checks and I think they checked me at like 11 PM and I was at maybe a five or a six 
And then we decided to change things up and I got up and was upright trying to do like all the things, um, laboring, like pulling on a sheet over a door and just like trying to be moving. And they checked me again at about three and I just hadn't Mm. made any progress. And I was, I was feeling like this isn't going to happen at home. Like this just isn't going to happen here. And we lived in a really tiny basement apartment and I had quite a few people present and um in retrospect I don't think that was the right move for me but it's so hard to know when you are having your first baby you know Mm -hmm. um what's gonna work Mm -hmm. for you and what's not so um we ended up going to the hospital and uh that was about we probably transferred in at like 3 30 or 4 I ended up getting an epidural. It took quite a long time to get the epidural. They couldn't really put an IV in my hand. It took ages. And I ended up with like a super bruised, like hand and forearm from them, like trying to put the line in so many times. But um, when I had the epidural, they had started Pitocin. I don't know if we call it Pitocin or Sintocinon in the States. Um, Pitocin. Pitocin, yeah. So it started Pitocin. And um, my daughter had quite a, long deceleration in her heart rate and I remember when that happened like the room had been really chilled out and my husband was asleep in a chair because he can sleep anywhere and he was exhausted and suddenly like my my mother-in-law who is generally a pretty laid-back person she kind of came up to me and was like everything's okay everything's and she she kind of was like she had this just weird energy and I was like why are you in my face telling me everything's okay if everything's okay <laughs> it's not So, um, yeah, that was kind of scary when that happened. And that was really, for me, the first time that I had had the realization that I want the birth that I want to have, but actually it's not just about me. Like there's also another person participating in this whole experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and, Mm -hmm. and she might not be doing great. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. the OB who was there, he was actually really, really lovely guy. And he kind of came in and said, you know, this is what's going on. These are some options. We can try this, the Pitocin again, but if your baby reacts the way she just did, I don't really feel that comfortable to keep going the way we're going because babies need a bit of energy when they're born to make that transition from birth to, I guess, living outside the womb. And he felt nervous that she wouldn't cope well. And he said, if she does crash again, I, or she does want, if she does, sorry, if she does tank again, I'm going to want to do basically like a crash cesarean where we're going to try to quickly get you under general anesthesia and have a C-section. And he said, she might do okay with the Pitocin. That's another option. Like she might cope. And the other option is we could prep you now for a C-section. And um, my husband and I were able to have some time to talk about it. And the decision that we ended up making was that we were going to go ahead and just have a, have a C-section because it just, it felt like the right call for both of us in that moment. And um, yeah, I think that was just where I felt comfortable. And it was actually really nice because it took a while for the epidural to work, um, like for it to get to the point where I was cleared to go and have the C-section and they were like doing the tests to make sure I couldn't feel things. And the anesthesiologist I had was just so lovely. And I guess overall, I didn't have a traumatic 
cesarean experience. And um, I think that's because the whole time I felt like I was really listened to and respected. And I had a list of, of kind of like a little bullet point sheet of like things that I wanted. And we'd considered all the options, you know, from hospital transfer to having a home birth, like we planned and having a C-section all the way through to like having a stillborn baby and what we wanted in that scenario. And one thing I really wanted mm -hmm. was um, skin to skin and delayed cord clamping of at least two minutes. And I remember when we were having the surgery, it was these two young female surgeons who were doing the, the surgery. And I remember them, them just stopping. And, and one of them was like, that's one minute. And I was like, what are they doing? And then it hit me. I was like, they're doing delayed cord clamping, <laughs> which just feels like so amazing that they're actually like doing that. I don't know. It mm -hmm. seems like such a small thing, but. I was so grateful that, you know, like that was happening. Um, and I, I just feel really grateful that, overall that, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say such a small thing, but it makes such a, such a big impact. <laughs> such a, yeah. yeah. So and, important. Um, she was born, she, you know, she was healthy and fine and she got to come to my chest, which actually didn't feel that comfortable having her on my chest because when you're having a c-section you're like flat on your back and um she's like right up against it's not like the natural place where you like cradle your baby your breast you know she's like on your collarbones and I was like you know she's great and this is lovely but can she go to dad for skin to skin and so Jacob had skin to skin and she pooed on him and got meconium in his belly button which she's four and a half now and she loves that part of the story that she pooped on her dad so funny. <laughs> um, and I I actually so she was born it was all pretty straightforward um as far as the immediate aftermath of the c-section and um I was like I want to get out of here as soon as possible because I had my, my mother-in-law in town and my sister-in-law, both of whom, like I mentioned before, are midwives, and they weren't going to be around for that long. And I was like, I've got excellent care at home. If I am ticking your boxes, I want to go home. And they were basically like, well, we want you to stay for 48 hours, but you know, you can go sooner. And I'm like, I, yep. What do I need to do? And I think it was like, you have to pee or something. And I was like, I'm doing that. And as soon as it was like 24 hours later, we were out of there or maybe a bit longer, but we mm. were gone the next day. Mm. Um, so yeah, we got home and everything was, yeah, pretty much everything was normal. Breastfeeding wasn't that, I mean, it was, it hurt, which I think, I think it usually hurts for like a week. I don't know if that's just me, but I feel like getting <laughs> breastfeeding established is not like, it's going to be a bit, um, painful sometimes, <laughs> but you got to persevere <laughs> and then we had really good support as well. I think that's another element of it is we had a really you know, a midwife who comes and visits for six weeks after the birth. That's another thing about New Zealand system is your midwife is there through your birth. And then she comes to your house and does postnatal visits up until either four to six mm -hmm. weeks, depending on what you need. And she comes every day in the first week, I think, and then kind of staggers the frequency out until you're finished seeing her. So that's really great. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, that was, she was born in May of 2017. And then mm -hmm. we fast forward. Um, she was, I guess she was probably about two and a half when we decided, oh, we think we want to have another baby. And um, we ended up getting pregnant with our second, uh, found out in December of 20, 
um, what would it have been 2019? Yeah. Mm. And this time I was really concerned about like doing all the right things. Cause I was like, I had a C-section, but I, I definitely want to have a vaginal birth. I had some time where I had to figure out if I really wanted to have a home birth or if I wanted to have a hospital be back. And mm -hmm. I just, I just had to get really clear about what I wanted. And I feel like I did a lot of soul searching about like, if I made a choice right now, based out of my wildest dreams of what my birth could look like versus like my biggest fear, what would, what would it look like for me? And my biggest fear was uterine rupture. I think that's the big scary thing that gets talked about when you've had a C-section and mm -hmm. we were close enough to hospital and the chances of having a rupture were so low. I'm going to misquote the statistics, but I think the chance of having a rupture is 1.6%. And within that small percentage, the, the number of catastrophic ruptures, which is when your uterus actually, like all of the layers of your uterus separate, the, the, the occurrence of that is so low within that already low percentage that I was like, no, this is, for me, the risk was worth it. So I was like, I'm going to try again, because if I don't try <laughs> and I go to the hospital and I have this like vaginal birth, I'm going to be like, why didn't I just stay home? Um, <laughs> so I actually had to search a little bit to find a midwife who was comfortable taking me as a as a client because I hadn't had a vaginal birth. A lot of midwives are like, you love home birth, but you have to have had a vaginal birth. And mm. so I found this one midwife, like everybody kept saying, if you want to have this kind of birth, you have to talk to this woman um, whose name, I don't know if I should say on the podcast for, <laughs> but she's this epic, um, a home birth midwife in Dunedin, New Zealand. And um, she was a nurse by trade and then studied to be a midwife and did like courses in neonatal resuscitation and other things. And anyway, I rang her up and she was like, yeah, cool. And um, we ended up organizing for her to look after me. And um, I also did Mama Stay Fit's antenatal online programming. So I joined a gym and their online programming is so good. I highly recommend their, their, their stuff to anyone. They've also got an app where you can just follow along and, and do the exercises. And I felt like that really helped because I wanted to make sure that all of the structures supporting my pelvis were balanced and strong. Um, and I also did uh, spinning babies, daily exercises and um, took lots of walks and made sure I was eating well. And I also saw an osteopath from probably from like 29 weeks um, just because of COVID, you know, through a spanner in the works and mm -hmm. I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't see an osteo any sooner than that, but that was really lovely. So I was just like, I don't know why I didn't have a vaginal birth the first time around, but if it was something, if I can try to figure it out, I'm going to do it. Um, I also did like some hypnobirthing meditation stuff, but. I found that to be kind of challenging because I, I had a hard time visualizing my baby being born at home because I was like, I wanted to prepare myself for the possibility of another hospital transfer. And I was certain that like, if we were transferring to hospital, it was going to mean another C-section. Like, I just felt that really deeply within me that like if that, yeah, that would be the, the case. Mm -hmm. But so anyway, I did all this, all this stuff and, um, I was sure that I was going to be pregnant forever because I went over with my daughter. So I was like, whatever, like 
at 38 weeks, I felt really ready to give birth. Like I got really big, really fast. And I think it's worth mentioning as well that around the time I was probably 28 weeks, I started to measure really big according to bundle height. And my midwife and I had some conversations around that. I just decided not to get another scan and I felt like it was okay. Um, but it was a concern for a time, but I personally decided not to pursue any additional information around that. So, um, so yeah, we got to 40 weeks and that was all good. And then, you know, I was like, I'm going to be pregnant for two more weeks. And then the next day (laughs) at 40 plus one, uh, which was August 17th, I woke up and, um, I, I woke up at 5.30, which is totally not typical for me because I was like really into trying to sleep in the morning. I'm not a morning person. Mm-hmm. And my husband is an early bird, which is perfect. So he usually gets up mm-hmm. at like 5.30, 5 a.m. even to read and sorts out our daughter. Anyway, I got up at 5.30 and I was like, oh, I'm going to go back to sleep. This is silly. But then I woke up again at six and um, I'm pretty sure a contraction woke me up. But I was up and my husband was like, what are you doing? Get out of my space. And I was like, nah, I'm up. And um, we had our morning as normal. I go to a thing called Play Center with my daughter, which is like a um, parent-led preschool cooperative. It's a really cool model that only exists in New Zealand, but that's a story for another day. So I told my husband, like, go to work. Something is different, but it could be nothing. Like I was in I was in denial. I was like, it's all good. Like you go to work, we're going to play center. And I started to have more intense sensations or contractions at play center. And they were strong enough that I didn't want to talk to anyone or or my daughter through them. And I didn't even want to be around anyone, which is not very characteristic for me because I'm a chatterbox and, you know, love to talk to other parents and caregivers at play center. And every time I'd have a contraction, I would just like run (laughs) away from everyone. Um, (laughs) And I was actually heading inside from being outside. And I got stopped in the doorway by this one mom who had had a home birth. And she was just kind of like, are you good? You can go home. Some other moms are like, we could bring your daughter to you if you want to leave her here. And I was like, nothing's happening, guys. And they're like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And the facilitator at the play center, her her, I'm not going to say her name either, but she's just this amazing woman. And she was so cute because she was like clapping her hands and squealing. And I, she's like, oh, Brooke. And I'm like, what? Nothing's happening. But I sent my partner, <laughs> I sent my husband like a text with just two emojis around 10 a.m. And he described it later as a horror face, like a big, scary frown, and then like an eyes wide emoji, <laughs> which I think probably sums up. <laughs> Um, so yeah, my husband was working in town at the time, but he said he could probably come home at lunch and then work from home for the rest of the day. And then at some point in the morning, I texted him and I was like, yeah, maybe that's a good idea. Just mainly because I wanted to rest. Like I didn't want to have to take care of my older child. I just wanted to go rest. Um, I felt like that was really important. Everything I've heard about birth is like, if you're in early labor or even if you're not, and it's like prodromal labor, you need to rest and eat. So I got home and I had like ramen with an egg, like dropped in and boiled. That's like my favorite comfort food. And there was only one packet left and my daughter liked them as well. And I was like, I am going to eat this. You can eat something else. (laughs) So, So yeah, I had that. It was glorious. I also built a fire. So in New Zealand, 
August, like mid-August is kind of like late winter, early spring. So it's like the equivalent of mid-February in the Northern Hemisphere. So it was still mm-hmm. quite cold outside. So I built a fire and um, then my partner came home at some point. And when he came home, I spent the rest of the afternoon in bed and our daughter was like glued to the TV, which I remember I was concerned about that. And I was messaging with a friend and I was like, my, she's just watching TV. And she's like, um, this is a great time for your child to just watch TV. <laughs> like, it's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, basically I just tried to stay in bed and rest and, you know, just be in my own, own zone. And, um, in the meantime, my husband was just being amazing. Like he was working from home and he was also starting to get the birth pool ready. Um, and just a side note about how, again, I'm going to go on about how awesome New Zealand is for having babies in, but in the region that we lived in, we lived in Otago and it's the district health board that gives resources and kind of oversees the midwifery, um, all the midwives in, in the region. And when you have a home birth, they provide a pool and they also provide a linen pack. And that has like washcloths and towels and sheets for your bed and like chucks pads and waterproof sheets and everything you might need and when you're done with it you just bundle it all up into a rubbish bag and they take it away and and clean it for you um so that was wow awesome yeah that's so cool (laughs) yeah it was it was one of the another nice thing and that actually isn't standard in all of New Zealand I think that might just be a thing that that particular um health board does so yeah basically we um my husband finished work around 4 30 or 4 45 and I was starting to feel um a bit anxious about going for a walk because that was like another thing where I was like I really want to have a walk during early labor I feel like that could help and I have heard lots about walking and I want to go and I'd love it if we could all go together so we ended up going out um up to a park near our house and it was just amazing and um, it was a beautiful night, well, evening, I guess, and the sky was gorgeous, and there were a few people, but not too close to us, and not too many. My husband managed our daughter, and I just, like, kind of waddled along behind them and, would, like, lean against trees and lean against fences, and I, I was just, like, I'm sure if anyone saw me and had any idea, it's, like, massive belly, like, <laughs> but I didn't care, you know, at the time, and anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, we got back <laughs> home, and the next thing I was, like, my next priority was eating because I knew I needed to eat. Um, and in fact, that morning I'd had like both my breakfast options. So I had my peanut butter and honey toast and I had scrambled eggs and coffee. Cause I was like, if something's happening, I need to eat. Um, so yeah, we got home and I went back to bed and my husband sorted out our daughter and he was like, we'll get Indian takeout later. Cause we have this great place down the hill from where we lived. And I was like, sweet. So my husband, just being a superstar, like sorted out our daughter, cleaned the kitchen, washed the dishes, put her to bed, made her lunchbox, like got everything ready for the next day because he knew that um, the next day he would be needed. Um, He knew that like he could, I could manage the contractions on my own at that point. And um, so he wanted to just get stuff done and be available the next morning. So yeah, he got her to bed and we got takeout. I think we ate probably about 8 p.m. And I remember I had lamb do piazza and I was just like struggling to eat it. Um, but in between contractions, he would like 
he would remind me like, eat, please, like take a bite, take a bite, have some water. And he actually got Powerades to drink, which was just epic because those ended up being so good during the labor. <laughs> um, so yeah, after we ate, it was all about getting to bed. And um, it took us a while to go to sleep. I think we didn't get to bed till like 11 or something ridiculous. But um, I think we were just running around doing stuff. And um, we'd made a deal that he was going to try to sleep for like two hours. So um, I think he like read his book and rolled over and went right to sleep because he's, he's such a talented sleeper. Like the guy can just sleep through everything. And mm. I basically just kept managing the contractions and I'd had a timer on my phone, like some, I don't remember the app I used, but I was timing the contractions. And, um, I think I'd messaged my midwife at this point, somewhere, somewhere around midnight. And I just had told her what was happening and said, you know, that I think contractions were, um, I think they were lasting more than a minute and they were five to seven minutes apart. And they were increasing in frequency if I was up and moving, but if I laid down, they spaced out a bit. And also during this time, I'd had, I'd had a bloody show, and I'd lost my mucus plug. And I lost, I actually lost my plug before I went to bed because like we were in the bathroom, my husband and I brushing our teeth, and I was like, like, look at this. And he was like, what the? Fuck? <laughs> I was like, this is so cool. Look, it's a mucus plug. And he's like, okay, it's gross. Um, little did he know it was coming in. Like, <laughs> Um, but I was stoked. I was like, this is so cool. And I was like, you know what the mucus plug is? And I told them that later. In the time I was just like, yep, mucus plug, sweet. So anyway, um, so it was it was close to 1.30 and I was like, you know, I'm going to wake him up because I feel like I can. And I was kind of getting to the point where like, I just wanted um, somebody to be there to kind of check in with the baby. Um, and I was also not, not too freaked out by the blood, but I was a bit like, I hadn't been to this point in labor before. Um, mm -hmm. and I was, I was feeling like a bit puffy as well, like my hands and, um, I was a bit concerned about that because with my first child, I'd gotten quite puffy and that seemed really freaky. And I was like, uh Oh, okay, well, what's going on? So, um, mm. yeah, so basically I woke my husband up around 1.30 and he rang the midwife and um, she was like, asked how I was doing and kind of told her about the bloody show. And she's like, that's great. Um, I'll have a shower and be right over. And um, she came over and when she got to the house, it's like 2 a.m. And she's like getting her stuff, you know, she's pretty much all business. And she'd had a haircut and I was like, oh, you got a haircut. Looks good. And she was like, no. Like she didn't say anything to that. She just didn't respond. She's like down to business, which was brilliant because that was kind of the tone for the entire time, which mm -hmm. was something I really wanted was just like, I didn't want chat, you know, I didn't want, and, and it's like, she intuitively knew that. I think so much of midwifery is just like understanding the art and the dance of it, as well as, you know, all the physiological stuff, of course, but, um, I think mm -hmm. she just knew that it wasn't the time to talk about haircuts, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we had our first, yeah. So we had our first yeah. check, I think like an hour after she arrived, maybe it was a bit longer, but, um, during this time, my husband was running around like getting pots of water on the stove, ready, everything full, um, heated up. 
and when she when she checked me I was at seven centimeters and I kind of talked to her previously about not really wanting to know where I was at but I wasn't you know I think at that point I didn't really care um, if she told me but she did say cool or you know you're at seven centimeters and and I was like that's nice because I got to like a five or a six with my first and there was not a moment in my mind where I was like, yay, I got further. Because I was like, no, like, don't, I don't care, really. Like, we're not done. The goal is to have a home birth, not to get to seven centimeters. So, um, yeah, so, so I ended up getting in the pool because I my blood pressure was a bit high. And my midwife actually suggested, you know, do you want to try to get in the pool? And I did. And um, when I got in the pool, it was nice. And my husband had set it up really beautifully. He'd had the foresight to like turn this lamp on that had really soft light and light candles. And it was warm and beautiful and the temperature was perfect. And um, I actually had one of my most beautiful moments of the labor in the pool because I remember like I'm in there doing my thing. The midwife is just sitting on the ground, quietly taking notes. My husband's next to like on, on a chair next to the pool and he's messaging people and he's quiet. And I just was like, it's so quiet in here. Like no one's talking, no one's having conversations over what I was doing. And, you know, maybe it looked like nothing was happening because I was just quiet or, you know, breathing, vocalizing a little bit through the contractions, but there's so much happening when a woman is, you know, basically going to the place where her baby is and fetching them and bringing them back you know to the earth I guess that might sound a bit crazy but like it's a really big deal and it was kind of this moment where I was like these people are just here like holding space for me and it was the first time I really understood what that means to hold space um and I was so grateful for that and um so that was really lovely and yeah, so we were in the pool and my water broke in the pool. And with my first child, I'd actually been in the pool as well when my water broke, but uh, we were filling up the pool. And so it was this big, like, dramatic splash. And I remember being like, ooh, my water broke. That's so cool. Yay. <laughs> but this time it was like a pop under the water. And I was like, oh, my water's. And my midwife was like, oh, that's, that's great. And she had a look and she said, the waters look clear, which is good. You know, like, it's really good. And my midwife was really kind of epic with kind of coaching me through different sequences of positions we could try. So when we were in the pool, she had me like do two contractions with my leg out, lunging on one side. And then in between those two contractions, I would be kind of naturally in this position where I was kind of face down and I had slid my legs out so that my tummy was kind of pointing downward and I was stretching my body out. And she was really encouraging of me doing that because apparently it's kind of like a reverse Walters maneuver, which is usually done over this <laughs> the edge of the bed with pillows. And it's supposed to help bring a baby who's quite high in the pelvis down through the pelvis. So she was quite happy mm. with, you know, with that. And, um, but yeah, after a little while, I just was like, I don't want to be in the pool anymore. Um, it's hot and it's nice, but I want to get out. And um, I was like, can, can I get out? And everyone's like, yeah, of course you can. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. So I got out. And um, at this point, I was just like, I'm just going to be naked because I don't, like, I can't deal with, like, 
clothes and yeah so and I figured like midwives probably see naked ladies all the time and honestly I was just in a different (laughs) world as well like I just couldn't like the part of my brain that would care about that stuff normally was just not present um yeah so at this point we went into the bedroom and I spent I don't even know how long quite a while just laboring in bed and I alternated between laying on my side and when I was laying on my side my midwife would press down on kind of the side of my pelvis with one hand and then she'd get her fingers and kind of dig them right in so I guess it would be my sits bones like right next to your bum like your butthole (laughs) and she would push down with one Mm. hand and then she lifted with the other that was by my bum and I, on one hand, loved that, but on the other hand, I absolutely hated it because it was so intense. And I loved it because I got what she was doing. Like, I really believe in spinning babies philosophy and different techniques to try to make space for the baby to come through the pelvis. And I was like, I get why you're doing this, but man, it was full on. And then the other (laughs) position she had to do was kind of like an A-frame on the bed, almost like a, like a puppy pose in yoga. Um, so my chest was quite far pressed down into the bed and then my butt was in the air and my legs had to be stretched back a bit further and that was again just to try to get baby to move down because she checked me at one point again and I was at a nine so I was still I was almost fully dilated but the baby was still quite high Mm. and there was a point where we'd been on the bed doing the position changes and she was kind of explaining to me that we might try to do walchers and I remember being like oh hell no because I was like that's gonna be so intense (laughs) (laughs) she was kind of setting up to do it like she's got she got the pillows and she had them on the edge of the bed and walchers is meant to be done like with you with your legs for anybody who might not know who's listening you lay on the edge of a bed, mm-hmm. you have pillows kind of underneath your lower back and your legs dangled down off the bed. And it's just, I mean, it's, for me, it was like impossible almost to even think of it. So I think <laughs> I ran off to the toilet and I like ran to the toilet and sat on the toilet. And she was like, she kind of followed me in and she was like, okay, yep, we can, we can do this in here. And I remember that part of labor, I was just somewhere else completely, um, she was, she was, I was sitting on the toilet facing, you know, the normal toilet facing direction. She was standing in front of me and she was rubbing my back. And I remember at one point realizing that she was rubbing all over my back and it felt so good. And at another point I was grabbing her forearms really hard during contractions. And I realized I was doing that and then let go. And she was like, no, no, it's okay. You can squeeze. And, um, so we, we labored, I labored in there for a while and I'd had a lip a cervical lip at one point when she checked me and so we actually did a contraction or two where she <laughs> stuck her fingers inside of the, my vaginal canal and like tried to rub while I was having a contraction and help move the cervical lip out of the way and that was mm. intense but my I kind of felt like with my perspective toward intensity and even pain during labor um, I don't like to really call it pain because it's not quite the right word for it, but it was definitely intense. But my philosophy was like, I'm here for that. Like intensity is how this baby comes out and intensity is how, you know, this results in a vaginal birth. And I was 
I felt really welcoming of the power of birth. And I think that mindset is really helpful for managing sensations during birth. At least for me, it was. Um, so yeah, when, when I was almost fully dilated, but baby was still quite high, that was probably the scariest moment for me because, you know, I didn't know why my first child wasn't born vaginally. And I had this suspicion, maybe something's wrong with my pelvis. It doesn't let babies come down, you know, but then something happened Mm -hmm. in the toilet. (laughs) And when my midwife checked again, she was like, so excited. She was like, that's amazing. That's amazing progress. Babies come right down. And her enthusiasm was so contagious and she was just bouncing, you know? Um, And at this point, I think it was about seven. And um, our oldest daughter at this point is, has gone. We had this amazing friend who was on call for the evening, stayed the night at a friend's house in our neighborhood so that she could come and like help us with our oldest. Cause I was quite worried about what was going to happen with my oldest child during the home birth. And she showed up at our house at like 6am and my daughter woke up at like 6:30 and got, got dressed, had breakfast, and then just like went with our friend and I was quite worried about my daughter interfering or like messing with me somehow and um I didn't really want to deal with that I felt like I didn't have any bandwidth to deal with her but she was amazing she had a breakfast and got to watch a bit of tv and she came in when it was time to leave and she gave me a kiss goodbye and and she was like that's it um and it was it was amazing so yeah, so she was gone at this point, and we went to the living room about 7 a.m., and we had a fire going, and I remember the wind was so intense outside. It was such a windy, windy day, and at that point, my contractions were getting really intense and really pushy, and I started to have these contractions where they're really grunty, and they would take my breath away at the height of them, so it was almost like if I was out of air at that point, I just had to wait. And then when I came out of that intense intensity, I just was like, <gasps> like took a, took a breath. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt at that point, like I was really working hard. I was in the zone. My midwife suggested I try to squat um, and she got a chair and suggested maybe my husband try sitting and I you know, use him as support. But I was just like, I didn't even try. I was like, no, that's not, that's not going to work for me. And what ended up happening is my husband sat on the couch with his, his knees kind of like a bit apart, I guess. And I was facing him on my knees with my hands pressing down on the tops of his thighs. And I remember that contact for me was so important. Like he would try to run off and like, you know, get things that, that might be needed in between my contractions. And as soon as I felt another one coming, I was like, get back here. Like I need to be touching you. Um, and at one point my midwife was behind me and she was asking my husband, if he could see the lips of my vagina opening. But at that point, she was kind of whispering like, are the lips opening? But at that point, he was also in denial. And I think this is part of what he brought to this experience from our previous experiences. He was like, nothing's happening. We still have hours and hours to go. Um, so, mm. but he, we do start to see, you know, the vagina opening and like, my midwife had said that she'd started to see bulging, which just indicated that the baby's head was right there. And she had a mirror and we'd also set up the GoPro on 
like a speaker that kind of served as a table as well next to our couch and we had it pointing at us which in retrospect if anybody has a gopro and can film their birth like it's really cool <laughs> and i want to like show it to everyone but i'm like not everybody wants to see like a baby come out of my body <laughs> so but it's very cool footage to have um but yeah basically uh my midwife was like get get that gopro closer you know and like so we actually had it kind of underneath me at this point and they were like you know things are coming out liquids coming out and baby's head is right there and at this point i was just having these massive pushy contractions also known as pushing which i've heard a lot about the pushing stage if you will from like listening to podcasts and different women's stories and I never really realized that I'd like entered the pushing phase, if you will. Like, I just, I don't know if it's fetal ejection reflex or, or what that is, but it just naturally became, you know, these big pushing contractions. And um, my midwife said, I might start to feel pressure in my bum. And if I did, you just go ahead and go with that. And she was like, you need to let it feel like you're taking the biggest poo of your life. And I was like, yep, feeling that. <laughs> but then <laughs> the baby's head started to come down. That's when I started to feel like the burning of the skin, you know? And I was like, oh, that was, that was quite different and stingy. And, and that would eventually turn into a second degree tear. So I did have a tear. Um, at one point, um, Jacob, my husband, started to see a little bit of the head and and he was quite confused because it didn't look like, I think when you see like the little first circle of a head, it's like crinkled up skin and doesn't look like a head really. Um, he was like, mm -hmm. what is that? You know? <laughs> um, and for him, that was pretty confusing. But for me, I remember like my midwife was like, do you want to stand up? Um, and I was like, no, because <laughs> I feel like if I stand up, this baby is going to fly out of me and I'm not ready. So I kept kneeling and I just remember I had this big contraction that I almost kind of like did a little squeal at the height of it because it's so massive. And I just had this realization like, this is going to happen here. And the only way to finish this is to let it happen. Um, and I, mm -hmm. I, you know, I just needed to let the burning happen. And, uh, and yeah, we, so basically one of the contractions just you know the burning sensation got more and more and more and more and more intense and then i knew that the head was out and my midwife said you know the head is the head is out the head is out baby's just turning baby's just turning and then um the next contraction she came out and um <laughs> we're still not entirely sure if she kind of hit the ground when she was born because my midwife had the gopro and we were all quite excited about the GoPro, I think. Well, I wasn't, but they were. And <laughs> he's like trying to capture the footage, you know, <laughs> which looking back, it's so, it's so cool to have it. But, um, but yeah, my, my husband's reaction when she was born is quite funny because he recalls just kind of going like, what the hell is that? Like, on the one hand, he's like, there's all kinds of stuff. And he's like, what the hell? you know and then the other side of him is like <laughs> that's my child it's like get her off the ground <laughs> you know um <laughs> for me it was just a bit of a haze like a like a daze of just oh she's out that's done that's done mm -hmm. and then um she had a bit of a short cord it felt like and I really wanted to sit down on the couch with her 
And um, like so many women, I kind of didn't care about what happened with the placenta, which now if I have another child, I'd really like to try to be more responsible for the placenta stage of my birth. But my placenta mm-hmm. phase, is that called the third stage? Yes, third stage. Labor? Yep. Yeah, so my third stage was like nine minutes because I, I mean, I think I had a little bit of kind of help from the midwife because I was just like, can we please, like, can I just be done? Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I was quite concerned about the placenta being intact because it looked funny to me, you know, I've seen like one other placenta in my life, but I was a bit nervous about having, you know, retained placenta because I've heard some scary stories about like having to get some help getting that out. And um, mm-hmm. so we, another side note is we hadn't found out the gender of this baby um, the entire pregnancy. And I'd had this hunch that it was going to be a boy. And I was like, you know, I'm the mom. I've got this intuition. It feels like a boy. It's probably going to be a boy. But my, my child, my oldest child, um, who's quite the fiery human and quite like, um, adamant and confident in her views of things. The whole time I was pregnant, she was like, no, the baby's a girl. And her name is going to be Blossom Fairy or Fairy Blossom. And I was like, okay. <laughs> my oldest child's name is, is Sayoa. So she, she's got a Basque name. It's S-A-I-O-A, Sayoa. And I was like, That's all right, beautiful. Like, I, I love her name. So my husband, a little bit, tiny bit of backstory. My husband and I met in the Basque country in Spain. And we just mm-hmm. felt with my first that it was really clear to us that we wanted to give her a Basque name, kind of as a nod and a tribute to the place where we met and kind of as an excuse to be ambassadors in a tiny way of the Basque culture and the Basque language. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, she was like, it's going to be a girl, cool. blah, 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 whatever. And I was like, OK, we'll see, you know, <laughs> thinking like you're going to be so shocked <laughs> and upset if it's a boy. But I the baby was born and, you know, they handed her to me. And before I got up on the couch, I tried to have a conscious moment of like not looking of just like enjoying this human. But I was like, gosh, I'm so curious. So I peeked and I saw the cord and I was definitely looking for like a tiny penis. And I saw the cord and I was like, that's definitely not a penis. And I moved the cord and I was like, oh my God, that's a vagina. It's a girl. Um, and I actually said to my husband, I was like, Jacob, and I had him look before I said anything. And then I think he looked and he was like, it's a girl. And so that was kind of cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, we were a bit hopeless in the aftermath. You know, I think we sat on the couch and just like babbled to ourselves and to the baby. And our midwife ran around. It was just an absolute pro, like doing all the things that she needed to do in the immediate aftermath of the birth. And she had to give me stitches on the couch. I mean, she didn't have to. She actually presented the idea to me that I could not have stitches and it it might heal on its own just fine and um so we kind of talked about that and I was like let's do the stitches and the shots that she had to give me to to numb the skin for the stitches like that was so intense um she was like you might scream at me right now and call me names and that's okay and I was like okay (laughs) um but but she was able to, to sort that out which was really great to not have to leave um And our daughter had a little bit of kind of like interesting twitching, like rhythmic twitching right after she was born. And that was a bit scary. 
um, I kind of said to my midwife, she looks like she's doing this twitching. And she's like, oh yeah, okay. We're going to keep an eye on that. She's like, but if she doesn't stop that, we are going to go in. Okay. And I was like, yeah, yeah, totally. But she did, she had another like big cry and sorted that out. And we were able to get her breastfeeding pretty quickly. Um, so the only other part of the story I want to, I want to tell really quickly is her name. So mm-hmm. I had this name picked out for a boy that was really clearly like my first choice, but we had no girl names really. And so when she was born, we are like, what are we going to name this child? And we kind of agreed that we were going to give her another Basque name just to stick with the theme, mm-hmm. but nothing was right. Like nothing that we liked was quite right. And my husband kept saying, the name's just going to jump out at us, you know, like we're going to, we're going to know when it's the right name. And so we, I think we, it took us like a day and a half, not very long, but it took us a little bit of time and we were thinking about it. And I said, why don't we just like humor Sayoa and find out how to say blossom in Basque because it felt, it felt appropriate because her being born in, in August, it's just like mid August. It's just before the time, um, that things start to blossom, you know, and it's, it's about to be spring in New Zealand and it felt really appropriate. So I was like, let's just find out. And we texted a friend who lives in the Basque country and speaks the language, which is called Euskera. And he was like, well, if that's, if that's like the kind of vibe you're going for, then I think the name that you want is Lorea. And my husband showed me the text. And as soon as I saw the name, I was like, yes, that is her name. So it's L-O-R-E-A. And then her mm. middle name is Dolores or Dolores <laughs> or however mm-hmm. we would say it, mm-hmm. um, which means like pains or sorrows, um, mm-hmm. which actually was kind of a nod to my, to my mother-in-law in the sense that the entire time I was pregnant, she was also certain it was a, another granddaughter because she really wanted another granddaughter. And she was like, I don't care what you guys call her. She's always going to be Dolores to me. And so we were like, yeah, Dolores, Dolores. <laughs> like, um, and it just felt really appropriate. You know, um, I found my birth experience to be incredibly healing, but I think it was like day three after the birth where, you know, I think that's a kind of infamous day of having a lot of interesting hormones going on and a lot of emotions as a result. But I just had this like epiphany about her name and how perfect it was because, you know, Lorea is blossoming and it's like springy and life is rejuvenating and things are beautiful and wonderful. And Dolores is, you know, kind of means pain or sorrows. And I just felt like the reason her birth could be so healing was because I had had something to heal from, if that makes sense. You know, like when my first was born, Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff happened in my life that I didn't want, you know, I didn't want a C-section and I desperately didn't want my dad to be dead, but that was what it was. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, like, I think I did a social media post about our daughter being born and how I felt really lucky that I was able to have her at home. And I just kind of realized, like, I got something that I really wanted, like that happened. And like, life has both of those things in it, you know, 
some stuff that you desperately don't want, but then other stuff that you, that you really do. And so, yeah, I, I think another takeaway for me of this whole experience was just this like desire for more women to be able to experience the profound transformative power of birth. I think there's so much messaging out there and fear and even in New Zealand where, you know, I have access to a midwife who'll support me to have a home birth after a cesarean. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's more accepted here. I still had several people tell me like, are you allowed to do that? And I remember saying to one person, like, I guess it depends on who you're asking for permission. So yeah, I'm allowed to have a home birth after <laughs> C-section, but I just, I just wish it was more available to a wider group of, of women and um, I guess if anyone who might listen to this is on the fence about whether or not to try for a home birth, you know, I just hope that people can make decisions based on what they really want and that they also can can feel supported um, to do that. And I guess that's my utopian vision of the future of birth is that women have the resources they need to make those decisions and that maybe by the time my daughters are having children or even their daughters, you know, um, the messaging has changed enough that it's not just fear mongering and, you know, birth mm-hmm. is this just powerful rite of passage. And I felt so strong, you know, afterward. And I just thought, what if we taught our girls from the time they start menstruating right through their childbearing years, like that this is, this is literally the way that new humans are made. This is power. This is normal and beautiful. Like this isn't dirty. And Mm -hmm. if you're in pain, it's not normal. Like if you have an exceptionally painful period, that's not just your lot to bear. Um, You know? So yeah, I Mm -hmm. I think I just had a really beautiful experience and I would, I would love for that to be possible for, for more people. So that's my those are my stories mm. <laughs> <Don't think exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> they made so much sense it was, it, it was beautiful Brooke um and I I I share um yeah <laughs> and I <laughs> I share in um uh the hope for your uh, uh collective uh or uh, for your um utopian vision for birth I I definitely feel like there needs to be a uh a collective homecoming um to to all to all of that um so we can all remember you know again just how powerful we are and that this is totally normal this is life um it doesn't need to be Mm. stigmatized at all absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah yes and thank you for reminding me once again (laughs) um and is (laughs) Is there any um, last parting words of wisdom that you would like to leave our listeners with today? Just, (laughs) yeah, just, just really trying to think of what, you know, if you have a goal that you'd like to achieve, just indulge yourself and try to think of the best possible outcome, the most amazing thing you could dream of and what that looks like. And give yourself permission to 
lean into that a bit and to even mm-hmm. try to make it happen instead of of just yes. you know entertaining your fears give both things mm-hmm. an audience <laughs> <laughs> oh well, beautiful thank you so much Brooke it was such a pleasure to have you on the show today thank you mm-hmm Thank you so much for listening. Storytelling is a profound agent of change, one that has the ability to plant seeds of inspiration, introspection, and beyond. If you have an empowering birth story that you would like to share on our podcast, please head over to IndieBirth.org forward slash birth warrior to send your submissions. That's IndieBirth.org forward slash birth warrior. Hope you have a beautiful week wherever you are in the world. Until next time, friends.